0: Let me invite you to open your Bibles, please, to Colossians chapter 3. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful for your love, for your faithfulness, for your mercy, for your long-suffering, your grace, your shepherding ministry in our lives. We all come having failed many, many times this last week. We all come needy. We all come recognizing that our efforts will not accomplish godliness, so we come yielded, we come humble, we come desiring full submission of our spirit to your spirit, that you might enable us to continue to worship in spirit and in truth, to allow your word to make its proper impact in our lives, to celebrate this great, great memory and this glorious ordinance that you've given to the church of your table. We ask that you would help us to allow your spirit to bring forth harmony, peace, fellowship, real communion. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. This is going to come as a shock, but living in the same house does not ensure unity with those who live there. I know that that is shocking to you. I, I figured that I would start it off with that kind of a very surprising statement Think of all of the opportunities that you have had to conflict with your housemates. These conflicts reveal that proximity is not equal to fellowship. And so as we consider that truth and then the positive side of it, as believers, just because we are united with Christ, this does not ensure that we are in proper fellowship with him. Now being in Christ is a wonderful place to be. There is no other place to be. It's where life and joy and peace exist. Being in Christ provides ultimate confidence in our future home in heaven. It provides assurance of a day when sin will no longer impact our lives. Being in Christ isn't just a theory or a theological concept. Being in Christ has substance. It has real substance. We should not settle for shadows when we have been provided with such a vital union with Jesus Christ. What we want to consider this morning is how being in Christ does impact our past, it does impact our future, and how it must impact our present. We're in Colossians chapter 1. Let's read verses 1 through 4. We've studied this text previously together. We're just going to look through it. Briefly this morning for our consideration as we worship God, worshiping God cannot take place without meditating on his word because we worship by the spirit based upon the truth. And so we're in the word worshiping and ultimately that worship is with the Lord's table, the Lord's supper or sometimes called communion. It's with that in mind beginning in verse 1 of Colossians 3. If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is our life, or the way it really reads, when Christ, our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Can you see the past, present, future of this text? It's very plain to see, and I tried to emphasize the past. He's he's saved us, and we'll talk about that. And there's coming a day where we we will be uh, directly in his presence, and there'll be no Interchange. It'll be face to face without interruption. We will appear with him in glory. But there's also a present aspect that is, our life is currently hidden, and Christ is our life, or Christ being defined as our life. Our life is wrapped up in Christ. He is the substance of our lives, He is the the source of our life, He is the end. Of our life, past, present, and future, being in Christ, impacts all of this. First of all, our union with Christ has provided us with spiritual life. That is the past concept. Verse 1 again, if then you were raised with Christ, if then you were raised, so he's talking about being raised with Christ. That's We, as Ephesians 2 says, we were dead in trespasses and sins, but God We were were going after satanic direction. We were led about by our own disobedient spirit. But God, who was rich in mercy, with with his great love with which he loved us. In Colossians chapter 2, take a look back there at verse 13. It says the same thing. And you, being dead in your trespasses, and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him having forgiven you all trespasses. The way he made us alive is by, first of all, removing our trespasses. In order to make us alive, alive, he had to cancel our debt. And so he tells us in verse 14, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us. And he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. In other words, all the sin debt that we had accumulated... All the IOUs that we had accumulated. Jesus nailed it to the cross. He removed our sin debt. Never to give account for that sin debt again. It's been paid for. It's been dealt with. He's made us alive. He's given us spiritual life. Because we have spiritual life that has substance, we're no longer in bondage to the law because the law never was given to make us holy. The law was never given to make us holy. Not Old Testament law. Not New Testament law. The commands of the Old Testament didn't make us holy. The commands of the New Testament don't make us holy. You can't be holy by being obedient. It doesn't work. You will find yourself in abysmal failure. You'll be broken and tired, worn out and unsuccessful, and you will, I promise you, give up if you think that you can attain into holiness by keeping the commandments. It doesn't happen that way. This is why Jesus canceled the debt. Jesus paid the price. The sin debt is paid. He's removed the handwriting of ordinances that were contrary to us. Then he goes on to really drive that point home, beginning in verse 20 of chapter 2. says, Therefore, if you died with Christ from the basic principles of the world, in other words, the, the way that we as people think that righteousness and holiness comes, Why, as though living in the world, do you subject yourselves to regulations such as do not touch, do not taste, do not handle, which all concern things which perish with the using, according to the commandments and doctrines of men. Listen carefully, verse 23. If you haven't memorized verse 23, I would recommend writing it down, meditating on it, and memorizing it. Listen to what it says. These things indeed have an appearance of wisdom. In self-imposed religion, false humility, and neglect of the body. Will you read the rest of it with me? But are of no value against the indulgence of the flesh. In other words, here's what he's telling us. You could have every regulation put against you. You could write them all down, memorize them, and say, yes, I will never do these wiki-wiki bad-bad things again, and I will do these goody-two-shoe things all the time. This is what I'm going to do. And what you'll find out is your flesh will still rear its nasty head because regulations do not take sin away and they do not impart holiness. Only Christ does that. Only Jesus takes our sin debt away. And only Jesus, by the power of his spirit and the truth of his word, impart righteousness. Not only to our eternal account, that's true in justification, right? Justification means I am eternally righteous and no one can change that ever under any circumstance. It's also true in our daily lives. If I want to be righteous, and if you don't want to be righteous, you've got real problems. If you don't want to be righteous, it means you don't know God. I'm not saying that you think you as a, an individual of your own accord can attain unto righteousness, but what God wants is a demonstration of himself through us, right? That's righteousness. That righteousness does not come by my self-will, It doesn't come by my self-effort. It doesn't come by my self-imposed doctrine. It comes from Christ. It comes from His Spirit. And it comes from His Word. Our union with Christ has provided spiritual life. He's raised us from the dead. He's broken the power, the, the dominion of sin. He's also given us a future. Our union with Christ will provide for us, I love this, our union with Christ will provide for us a full, full display of Jesus' glory a full display of Jesus' glory. Look at verse 4 again. When Christ, our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Now, that's a very, very simple concept, but there's more to it than just that is recorded here in Colossians 3. When he says, when our life, Jesus, appears, and we appear with him, as we consider other Scripture passages, we understand what that means. What that means, friends, is when I am in His presence, my vile, lowly, sinful mind, my vile, lowly, sinful body will be done. It'll be changed. And I'll be new. Completely. From the inside out. Entirely. Eternally. What He's telling us is that when I see Christ... My whole life changes. The Bible says this in Philippians chapter 3. It's not on the screen. It's, it's in your Bible, but you don't need to turn there. Listen to what God's word says. For our citizenship, that's where we live, is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait. For who? The Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. What's he going to do? He will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed unto his glorious body, how is he going to do this? According to the working by which he is even able to subdue all things to himself. You know what that means? There's nothing stopping your complete and utter sanctification. There is nothing stopping your complete and utter glorification. This is why Paul can write in Romans chapter 8 that those whom God has uh, foreknown, he has also called, whom he has, who has called, he has also predestined, whom he has predestined, he has justified, whom he has justified, these he also has glorified. There is no question that the believer in Jesus Christ will be eternally glorified to say it in the terms of the apostle john in first john chapter 3 and verse 2 beloved now we are children of god and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be but we know that when he is revealed we shall be like him for we shall see him as he is you see Colossians chapter 3 is providing us with an understanding that we, as those who are united together with Christ, yes, our past, all of our sin is wiped away. That's good news. It, it, it's like a breath of fresh air to think, I've forgiven. No one, no one can grant me forgiveness but God himself. They may be in, in personal relationship things, we can, we can forgive one another over things, but I'm talking about like the sin debt. No one can forgive me. Some, some man with some special garments on, sitting behind some curtain, can't say, you're forgiven, my child. They can't do it. They can say the words, but it doesn't make it so. Only God can say, you are forgiven, which is why it was so offensive when Jesus said, go and sin no more. Your sins are forgiven. The people took up stones to stone him because he was telling them, he's God. Well, I'll tell you what, I agree. Jesus is God and he can forgive sin, and that's the only way that forgiveness comes. That forgiveness is wonderful, okay? Our past is all taken care of. What is even more glorious is that our future is all taken care of. I know, as sure as I'm standing here, because I've trusted Christ, I will be glorified. There's no doubt about it. No one can take that away from me. No one can cause me to question that. You could try to put me on the worst guilt trip in history. You know what I'll tell you? Man, If my standing with God were based on me, I would feel really, really bad right now. But it's not. Because if my standing were based on me, I would have only one expectation. You know what it is? Eternal hell fire. That would be my one and only expectation. So go ahead. Try and put me on a guilt trip. And I'll tell you, I am righteous because of Christ. And you can't change that You can't impact that in one way whatsoever because I'm united together with him. I have a future in heaven, and it's glorious, and Jesus will be on full display in himself, and he'll be on full display in me. What a happy, happy reality. Being in Christ impacts my past, and it impacts my future. Now, what about now? Does your union with Christ have any impact on you today? Our union with Christ is providing us an opportunity to display our real life. I want to ask you a question. This is one of those trying to make you feel guilty questions. Looking at myself too. When you look back over the last week, how much time did you spend displaying you and how much of your time did you spend displaying him? Because we are united together with him, we have this great privilege of displaying who we really are. But sometimes, instead, we display who we used to be. The old man displaying him. Now, who gets, who gets the credit for that? Right here. Right here. When Christ is displayed in my life, here and now, who gets credit for that? Him. So this is, this is our dilemma. This is our daily, and even better than that, moment-by-moment dilemma. Look again at this passage. It says, in verse 1, If then you were raised with Christ, here's a command, seek those things which are above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. And if you didn't get it the first time, let's say it again. Set your mind on things above, not on things above. On the earth. What's the rationale for this? For you died. And your real life is hidden with Christ in God. So he's telling us that because we've been raised with Christ. Because we're united together with Christ. Here's what our mindset should be. There. Kingdom purposes. Heavenly purposes. Eternal purposes. And so often we find ourselves stuck in the here and now. We find ourselves in this temporal, financial, societal, relational situation, and we're so caught up with that. Now, those societal, relational, financial things do have to do with our kingdom living, don't they? It's like every part of our lives applies, correct? But when those things become the focus of our attention, they serve as mini-gods, little gods, And we worship them, we worship them. We worship the God of relationship, we worship the God of finance, and we worship the God of of societal, whatever concern. It's like, how can we fix this and how can we deal with this? Instead of saying, you know, Lord, here I am, here's the situation. What do you want to do in me through this? How do you wanna how do you wanna work your grace in my life in this situation? And the reality is, when we set our affection on things above, kingdom, the kingdom of God, is on display. Christ himself is on display. Right now, it appears in some ways that our true identity is hidden. Do you feel that way? It's like when you walk down the street people say, Hey, look, Jesus. Probably not. Probably not. Our true identity, who we really are, Christ is our life, or our life is hidden with Christ and God. In some ways, our, our true identity is hidden. Do you remember that during Jesus' earthly ministry, his true identity was often hidden? They, they didn't know what was going on. They, they looked on the temporal. Remember, Jesus goes into the synagogue uh, in his hometown and, and he pulls out the scroll and he's saying some things from Isaiah and he says, today, these things are fil- fulfilled in your, in your hearing. In other words, the kingdom is here, the Messiah is here, here I am. He sits down and the people start, hey, hey, I think that's that's Joseph's son. He's he's just a carpenter. What's he talking about? His true identity was hidden. Now he wasn't hiding it. He said, today these things are 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 fulfilled in your hearing." So he wasn't he wasn't shy about it. Jesus healing the blind man or the deaf man or making a a, a mute person speak. These things weren't hidden. He did them out in the open. But in their their eyes and their minds, his identity was hidden. This is why he was hated and rejected, of course that was all in accordance with God's plan, because he was to be our redemptive lamb, the lamb of God, slain from the foundation of the earth. So God always intended, always intended for Jesus to die. There was never a point in history that God thought, ooh, maybe we can spare Jesus' life and people will be good, really, really good, and Jesus won't have to die. It was always plan A for Jesus to die on the cross. He's the Lamb of God slain from the foundation of the earth. This was God's plan. There were times that his true identity was made clearly evident and people didn't recognize it. I believe that since Jesus is our life, since we are hidden with him, since he has provided our spiritual life and he is our end goal, while we are here on the earth, our goal should be to let him be seen. To let him be seen. And the way that that's going to happen is our affections are set on him. He's in heaven. Set your mind on things above. Let's change it. Set your mind on him. Set your mind on your savior. Set your mind on your king. Let him rule your life. Let him give you grace. Let the spirit do his work and guess what people will see Christ and then they'll have to you you can't have no reaction to Christ you can't have no reaction people love him or hate him when Christ is seen people are put in that that position now what what does all of this have to do with the Lord's Supper the whole concept of the Lord's Supper is remembering Christ the benefits past yes my sins are forgiven Future, yes, I'm I'm as good as glorified here and now. I have union with Christ. I am currently seated in the heavens with him. My, my position is secure. There's no, no one that can remove that from me. My future is certain. My present, my present is one in which as I am united together with Christ, I'll bear much fruit. That's what Jesus said in John 15, right? Hey, I'm the vine, you're the branches. He who abides in me, what happens? You bear fruit much fruit. And then he tells us in verse 5, without me you can do nothing. And so we have this whole concept It's very clear. What do these things have to do with communion? Take a look please with me at 1 Corinthians chapter 10. We read this earlier as our responsive reading. It's important for you to be able to answer this question for yourself. Are you in Christ? Are you in Christ? Have you trusted Christ as your Savior? If you're in Christ, you are united together with him. Just because you're united together with him does not mean he's always on display, right? Our fellowship isn't always what it ought to be because we allow ourselves to dictate the terms instead of letting him dictate the terms. And so he's not always seen, but just because he's not seen doesn't negate our union with him, right? Correct? Lest the whole New Testament mean nothing. The whole New Testament will mean absolutely nothing if we're just united together with Christ and you can forget the rest of it. Well, why would God write all the rest of it? So that we would understand, okay, when we're united together with Christ and the fellowship is taking place and the Spirit's controlling our lives, this is what it looks like. This is what happens when you're filled with the Spirit. And Jesus is ruling your life. Are you in Christ? I'm not asking if you have you been obedient every day of your life. I'm asking have you trusted Christ? You're united together with him. Okay, if that's true of you, you've you've trusted Christ, you're in Christ, your past is is forgiven, your future is secure, right now you have these opportunities to put Jesus on display as you yield to him, this is good news, friends. As we look at this text in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and, and its relation to our celebration of the Lord's Supper or the Lord's Table, look at what he says beginning in verse 14. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. Well, the whole discussion from chapters 8 through 10 has been this. Essentially, it's, what do I do about meat offered to an idol? And he talks about Christian liberty and all the things that go along with it. And now he says, as, as kind of a wrap-up of that discussion, about if, if someone says, hey, this meat's been offered to idol idols um, what do I do about it and, and he talks about the weaker brother and, and, and not, not giving in and, and exercising our liberty not for ourselves but for our brother that's the whole concept in chapter 9 as he comes to this wrapping up section he says flee from idolatry don't, don't participate with idolatry don't join yourself to idolatry uh, uh, idolatrous practices and then he says this I speak, to you to, uh, speak as to wise men judge for yourselves what I say listen carefully He uses an illustration. The cup of blessing, which we bless. Is it not the communion? The term there is koinonia, communion, of the blood of Christ. The bread, which we break, is it not the koinonia, communion, of the body of Christ? For we, though many, are one bread and one body. For we all partake. Now this is a different Greek term, meta-echo. Meta is with, with. Echo means I have, to have with, to have together, to have in concert, in communion with. It says, um, for we all together join in that one bread. Observe Israel after the flesh. Are not those who eat of the sacrifices, partakers of the altar? What am I saying then? That an idol is anything? Or what is offered to idols is anything? Rather, that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and not to God. And I do not want you to have, koinonia, fellowship with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake, of the Lord's table and the table of Demons. Or do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? Here's, here's the long and the short of it. When we participate in the Lord's table, there's, there's bread. It's unleavened. It looks like a cracker, but it's not a cracker, I assure you. It's matzah bread. It's unleavened bread. We'll partake of it. Um, if you do this outside of the bonds of Christ, I'd say don't do it. But if you do it, it'll do nothing except speak ill toward you. The, the cup is just grape juice. It's representative of Jesus' blood. It doesn't become blood. It doesn't even act like it's blood. None of the sort. It's just grape juice. You'll drink it. If you're outside of Christ, all you do is speaking condemnation to yourself. You're only speaking ill to yourself. It's not not for you. If you're a believer, however, he calls it a cup of blessing. He calls it a cup of blessing, which we bless. What does he mean, we bless? Well, before we take it, we pray. God, you know, we're here we're, we're, we're doing this in remembrance of Christ and, and we're, we're wanting it to please you, so we're blessing this, this, whole, se- this whole ceremony, this whole ordinance, this practice, of this remembrance. But he says this is a cup of blessing. What is the blessing? Does the juice do something for you? Does the cracker? It's not a cracker, it's bread. Does it do something for you? It doesn't. It doesn't. Except for this, it says it's the communion, it's the joining together, it's the fellowship, it's the participation with blood, not just any blood, but the blood of Christ. It's a participation, not just any participation, but with, with the bread, the body of Christ, because the bread points to the broken body of Christ. This is, this is not going to convey grace upon you. You have all the grace you need. You have all the grace you need when you come to know Christ, and you have the Spirit, and, and, and God has given you all the grace you need. But as we look at this table, it's more than just, hey, let's remember this thing. Because we do that every Sunday. We do it every Wednesday. Every time I open the the pages of Scripture, what am I doing? I want to remember Christ. That's the first thing on my mind. If I don't preach Christ to you, kick me out. And I'm not kidding. I'm wasting your time. But there is something special, friends. There's something special and sacred about what we do here with the Lord's table. It is spiritual. It is sacred it is fellowship together in fellowship with him is there any question is there any question that Jesus is here why do you have no question I'll give you two theological reasons first of all he's omnipresent that means he's everywhere so we can't get away here's a second theological reason have you trusted Jesus as your savior he's living in you and you're here is Jesus here he's here He's present. We're communing with Him. We're worshiping Him and magnifying Him. That's what our goal is. If we don't magnify Him, again, we're wasting our time. But this table, we participate together. We participate with Him. It's a cup of blessing. It's it's a bread of blessing because we're communing with Him and with one another. We have been united together with Christ And in just a couple of moments, we're going to pass all the the pieces of bread out, the broken pieces of bread. We're all going to hold on to it. Pastor Bill is going to give us some some things to meditate on concerning the bread and its relation to the body of Christ. And then we'll partake together. What are we saying as we partake of that together? We're saying, I'm in Christ. Christ I have a part in this Christ is my life this body was broken for me I am in the body because of Christ then moments later we'll pass out the cup I'll give some things to, for your meditation concerning the cup and the blood and its relation and and we'll after that we'll take the cup together and we'll We'll drink it together. What are we saying? This blood was shed for me. I am a part in this. I'm in Christ. I'm united together with him. I want to ask you, friend, before we start this section or really dive into it, are you in Christ? Are you united together with him? Do you have part with him? Has he dealt with your sin? Has he dealt with your future? Is, by, uh, by his grace, are you displaying him in your daily life? But I guess even more particularly, more specifically, are you going to put him on display right now? How will you put him on display right now? Participate. You participate. How do we participate? Well, first of all, we remember him. It's not about us, it's about him. We remember him. Then we examine ourselves. What are we examining? Well, first of all, we have to examine am I, am I one of Christ's? Okay. Once you're dealt, okay, I'm one of Christ, I'm in Christ, my, my eternal destiny is set. Now, what about this concept of displaying him? Maybe you've had a rough week of displaying him. Well, does that mean you shouldn't partake? I disagree. What you do is say, dear God, I've been displaying me and not you. You confess your sin. The Bible says he's faithful. It means he'll, he'll do it every time. And just, that means he has the right to, to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The context there of that passage is is one of fellowship. Walking in the light, walking in darkness, You you can't have it both ways. You're either in light or in darkness. So when we confess our sin, there's this restoration of pure, united fellowship. And then when we're in fellowship with him, guess what? It's not me on display any longer. It's Christ. This is the whole concept of the Christian life, being able to display him by getting out of the way. Getting out of the way. So we will examine ourselves, and finally, we will partake together, which is saying, I want to proclaim Jesus' death as enough and, and my union with that death. That's, this is what we're going to do. This is, this is the whole goal here. And in the process, God calls it a cup of blessing, and he says his fellowship is here. He's fellowshipping with us. We're fellowshipping with him, and we're fellowshipping with one another. This is a glorious opportunity. Let's have the men come forward, please
1: an excellent communion and union with Christ message from Pastor Rob. We are without excuse as we stand here today. The Apostle Paul informs us that the Old Testament as we see it is really a shadow of things to come of the Lord Jesus Christ and if I can just take a moment, I see a a shadow of this communion service and what we know to be the first Passover meal and that Israel was in bondage in Egypt, not unlike you and I in bondage in our sin. And as God looked upon them and heard their cry for mercy, He gave them an, an out, if you would, because He was going to send His death angel into Egypt. And all the firstborn, all those who uh, had rejected God within their families, one would die. And I might remind you The death angel is going to come to every one of us one day. And God said that I want you to prepare a special meal, a table, if you would. And he said, I want you to prepare that meal and to take a lamb and to kill it, to shed its blood. And then I want you to consume that body, that meal, that lamb. But most importantly, I want you to take the blood of that lamb and apply it to the doorposts and to the lentil, the top of the door. Because when the death angel comes and I see the blood, I will pass over you. And so you and I today apply the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ to our life. Why? Because He is the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. We apply that to our life. We who are dead in our trespasses and sins, now are given eternal life in the Lord Jesus Christ by applying His shed blood to my sin. And so today, as we partake, we're partaking of a shadow of that very first Passover. We're applying His blood to our sin. Just partaking this meal does nothing for you unless you apply the blood to your life. And so today, as we partake together, let's remember... That Christ was that Lamb of God, as Pastor Rob mentioned, slain before the foundation of the world. And God's shadow traveled through until the person of Christ came on the scene and paid the price. We're going to pass this bread out together, the body, if you would, of the Lord Jesus Christ, just done in remembrance to him. The blood of the Old Testament Lamb was a token, God said. It was not the... Uh, the faith but it was only a token of their faith as we partake of this it's a token or a remembrance of our faith in the Lamb of God who died on Calvary's cross his body was broken torn for us and his blood was shed for us it's not by works of righteousness which I have done but he saved me with the precious blood of Christ for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Father, we pray that you'd help us as we partake with this, the torn body of our Lord Jesus Christ, on the symbol that we know to be the cross. Father, we thank you for his work. We pray, Lord, as we partake, we would recognize that it is but a taste of that which is to come as we shall dwell together with you because of his work. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Eat this in remembrance of him. If you have your Bibles and you want to turn there,
0: you can turn to Hebrews 9, beginning in verse 23, I think the author of Hebrews gives us some great ponderance as we consider the cup of blessing, which is the the cup that is representative of the Lord Jesus' shed blood. Beginning in verse 23, the Bible says, therefore, it was necessary that the copies of the things in the heavens should be purified with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ has not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Not that he should offer himself often, as the high priest enters the most holy place every year with blood of another He then would have had to suffer often since the foundation of the world. But now, once, at the end of the ages, he has appeared to put away sins by the sacrifice of himself. And as it is appointed for men to die once, but after this the judgment, so Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. To those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear a second time, not dealing with sin, but bringing about final salvation. Obviously a couple little extra words in there for your edification. The next time he comes, he's not coming as a lamb. He's coming as a lion, the king of kings and lord of lords. He will rule his people perfectly forever. But the first time he came, he offered himself once. And that one sacrifice was sufficient to bear the sin of the many. Sufficient. In other words, God was satisfied. God's demand against my sin has been satisfied. And if you've trusted Christ, God's demand against your sin has been satisfied. And so the Bible rings a loud charge of encouragement to us when it says, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. What is this cup talking about? What is this cup of blessing? It's a cup that tells us we've been blessed immeasurably, that we couldn't be blessed more, that we've been blessed to the nth degree Because Jesus' blood has ransomed us. We have life through his name because of his once-for-all sacrifice. I'll never, I will never, I will never give an account of my sin because Jesus has satisfied God's demand. Praise God. Second stanza of depth of mercy. I, my master, have denied... I afresh have crucified and profaned his hallowed name, put him to an open shame. Listen, listen please. Jesus speaks and pleads his blood. He disarms the wrath of God. Now my Father's mercies move. He receives me with his love. You see, that's what this table is telling us. When we look at us, we don't say, yeah, doing a great job, buddy. We, we see our failures. We, we must see our failures. We see our weaknesses. We see our frailty. We see our sinfulness. But then we look. We look, and Jesus' blood speaks a totally different song. He has completely satisfied or disarmed the wrath of God. And that is what this cup of blessing signifies. Full pardon, full fellowship, full forgiveness. Let's pray and then we'll partake together. Father, thank you. Be glorified. You've blessed us abundantly. Bless our participation for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's drink this together.